Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? Let's talk about initiating difficult conversations. You know, I mean, we've talked, I know we've talked about having them and stuff, but let's talk about how we get, get into it. Well, you just did, didn't you? (laughs) Conversations with me are always pretty difficult. I agree. And let's talk about some more. Well, first of all, okay. That was so self-effacing on your part because I was taking conversations with me. Well, I was trying not to be rude for once. It didn't work. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, let, 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 let's lay out the problem here, because we were talking about this, obviously, as we're getting ready to record this podcast. So are you referring to, like, how do you say to somebody, we need to talk? <laughs> exactly. That and how do we start that tough conversation? Like the whole process of not only getting them in the room, but getting it started on the right foot. So let's start with, if we could, what have you seen done wrong? What you just did. Which is? We need to talk. What's wrong with that? We need to talk. Well, we need to, well, the, but the way you said it earlier was had that. To- so this is one of the things that's about communication that we need to be so conscious of is the tone of voice, our facial expression, our body language, and the words we use and how we communicate them. Hey, we need to talk about something. Has a completely different tone than we need to talk. Look, I'm pissed. You screwed up. Okay. I'm disappointed. We need to talk. Okay. Yes. And that, from my perspective, is assuming you have great rapport with that person already. Like you and I, I could do that. I could be like, Dave, I'm pissed about something. I want to talk about it. I want to clear the air. But with somebody who maybe just started working for me three months ago, who is remote, who is of a different generation than I am, if I approach it that way, they're probably going to quit before the conversation actually happens. Yeah. And uh, the odds that they quit before the conversation are probably slim to none. But the challenge. I may have been dramatic. <laughs> yeah, you a, a bit, a bit exaggeration. <laughs> But, but the real challenge is our goal when we sit down is to have them open and willing to accept the input. Mm-hmm. And frankly, we need to be in that same boat because we may not have all the facts. And so we can't go in there guns a blazing. We've talked about this in, in, in our, our previous podcast. And to your point, this is where creating those long-term relationships and creating that rapport so you know you can you can you can get away sometimes with because let's be candid as much as we try and be like you know and can you step into my office just for a quick second right and if we do that all the time then it's no big deal mm-hmm. right if on the other hand you've never been in my office before right then 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 that whole school principal factor comes into play so a lot of this has to do with stuff that has nothing to do with having that conversation and everything to do with that relationship. 
that day-to-day rapport building. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing. If we've got that great culture of open communication, the other person's going to know, oh, hey, even though when I go into Dave's office, maybe we have something uncomfortable to talk about, I know he and I are on the same team and he wants what's best for me. And, you know, we'll get through this. Like, it's good. There's that trust. But sometimes it's with your client who you may not have that rapport with. Sometimes it's with a new employee or somebody who just joined your team. Um, So what are your thoughts on initiating a tough conversation when you don't have that open uh, culture of open communication yet? Well, I mean, candidly, I love that word, by the way. I know. (laughs) There's always like a pause, like candidly, because usually I'm a complete liar. Well, that's why honest, honest. That's why I don't use the word honestly. I use the word candidly, right? Oh, it's completely different. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I, and when people say to me, honestly, <laughs> or can I be honest with you? I'm like, oh, you haven't been to date. Which but always how is up. candidly any different? Candor a rose honest. by any other name, Dave, still smells like poop in your pants. Nah, no, wait, that's not how it goes. Candor and honesty are two different things, right? Because inherent in and here's the distinction in my world, for whatever it's worth. And again, this is this is where communication, you know, we seem to have straight off topic, but we really haven't. This is why communication is so important and it's so critical because no matter how clear we think we are, people have different meanings to different words. So in my world, if I'm being if I'm not being honest or being dishonest, that there's a potential I am lying, which is an act of commission. You can lie by omission as well right? Not being candid may mean something more of fact, I'm not giving you all the information, right? But I'm not giving you incorrect information. I just may not be giving you all the information. And that to me is the difference between candor and dishonesty. And ladies and gentlemen, in 2023, you're going to see a new podcast from Dave Rosenberg called Words the Way I See Them. <laughs> no, it probably words the way I hear them. But okay. um, <laughs> depends on whether they're written or spoken. But anyway, candidly, go ahead. Right. And and so to me, that's the distinction. And, and and I think you know most people don't really, first of all, most people aren't as smart as you, Anne. Let's just be candid about that. Well, and, you know, my mom thinks not. <laughs> well, so clearly she is one of those people who's not as smart as you then. And um at any rate, right. So I can't, I can't. Where the heck were we? Um, (laughs) I had asked you how you start a conversation with somebody who you don't have a culture of open communication with. And to me, I got to be me. I can't be anyone else. You know, it's it's big enough challenge being me. So I'm simply just going to say, Ann, can you step into my office? You know, or, Ann, let's carve out some time. We have to talk. Okay. And they go, about what? I'll tell them about what? You know, and What's important, I think, from my perspective, is I'm not doing it with vitriol, right, or any sort of uh, strong emotion, just real matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And that's my style. And the people who work for me, uh, if, if, if they don't enjoy that, they don't enjoy it. Sure, sure. And and I, I take a little bit of a different approach. Um, personality styles is one of my favorite 
emotional intelligence topics and kind of thinking about, okay, who is this person? How would they like to take this information? Because if there's somebody that I think might like to have some time to develop answers and all that stuff, um, I might say, hey, Dave, I need to talk to you about something. I'd like to talk to you about this and have just a really collaborative problem-solving conversation. Are you available tomorrow um, to chat through it? Because that will give that that person who wants that time to analyze the time to kind of think about some answers. Whereas some people who I know might be very volatile, very, you know, fly off the handle and giving them too much time to think about things without actually having the conversation is just going to rile them up. I might say, say, take a similar approach and say, Hey, can I talk to you about something? You got 10 minutes right now, jump into my office. Let's chat real quick. And, and we just have that conversation in the moment so they can, see my tone of voice and hear my facial expression without thinking about it for too long and making it more into what it is not. Yeah. And, and certainly you have a valid point that people who, you know, using the disc behavioral model or what they call a high ass, right. Who, who need time to chew on stuff, who get ready on ready to things. They don't like change real quickly. Somebody like that definitely does need to sort of get their ducks in a row in a conversation. And, so I, I will cede that point to you, point, Anne. Um, yes. And at the same time, I'm also open to if I have that conversation and they're kind of caught flat-footed, you know, they don't have the information, you know, being able to punt and say, okay, well, listen, you know, get you, what do you need to be ready for this? Because, you know, you might get, well, I, I don't have that information in front of me. Uh, okay, not yeah. a big deal. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we've talked about this before within difficult conversations, sometimes being able to take that time out for that person to be able to say, Hey, you know what? I'd like, let's just take overnight. Let's think about it and let's come back and talk about it tomorrow. And what that does say is I'm in this for a collaborative problem solving conversation and I want your input as much as my own. Yeah. And I think part of it too, is where are you in the process? In other words, something goes wrong we're talking about having conversations where something has gone wrong. Now, whether that's a production thing or a personality conflict, there is something that is not right and, and, and we need to figure it out. And so part of that is an investigative approach. Mm -hmm. And, and so this conversation may be now I just want your, your in, in input. Mm -hmm. That's different than I think I have all the data. Yeah, like you're not you're showing up to meetings late all the time and we have a problem. Right. And and yeah, totally. And we've talked and you've kept telling me about your car broke down and your dog at your homework and whatever other, you know, you got caught in traffic, even though it wasn't announced on the news. And nobody else who came from your part of the city, and these are things that have actually happened to me. Um, nobody else from your part of the city has been late, but somehow you got caught in this mystical traffic. I've had all of those things happen, right? That's a different approach. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. For me. I'm much more stern in that approach because I don't, I, I'm at that point, it's not about um, hearing the excuses. It's about setting boundaries. Yeah. Well, and, and so this is an interesting, uh, when I teach difficult communication, one of the things I talk about is the follow-up and you have to follow up. If nothing changes, you're having a, another conversation, but it's not the same conversation. And then it does get, it gets stern, but in my view, it doesn't have to, because what we should be doing is letting people know what the consequences are going to be if this doesn't get fixed so they can make their own decision. 
Well, you know, I'm not, all I'm letting you know is, is we pay you to do a certain job. And here's what happens if you're not here to do that. I'm here to listen and solve this problem with you. And when we leave this room, hopefully we're going to have a good solution. And if it doesn't get fixed, you know, what's going to happen next. And I don't have to get stern because I'm just doing what we talked about was going to happen. Right. And we've talked about this before as well. When I do my training, I talk about what data C is the acronym I came up with for when you have that challenging conversation, you know, um, and, and one of the, the, the C in that is the consequences where you have to be crystal clear on the consequences. So when I say stern, what I mean is matter of fact, mm-hmm. where, you know, yeah. it might be, well, and, you know, we, we talked about the next time you were late, you're going to get a week off without pay. You were late this morning, so plan on not being back to work until this time next week. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And yeah, yeah. And if they get twitchy and uh, uh, it's like we talked about this, like you know, and and this is why I always tell people keep records of conversations in situations like that. You may want to have somebody sign something so they know, and they're being held accountable for that. Um, and it's very clear. So there's really no, like, I don't have to attack you. I don't have to wag my finger at you. You made a decision and you're an adult and you get to do that. I can't control what you do. And here is the consequence. I told you if you made that choice. Yeah. And, and I know we've spoken about this before as well. And from my perspective, and I know you agree with this, um, if you've come at those previous conversations from a place of caring, place of co-creation, a place of we're going to solve this problem together and I'm going to give you the resources you need so this doesn't happen again. And you've done all those things and are crystal clear on the consequences. Mm-hmm. They are volunteering for those consequences. And for me, that's always been like, you know, it's not, I don't feel bad. You want and this. Exactly. Well, and, and I always say that to them in so many words is that, hey, look, I can't control what you do. You're an adult. You're an adult professional person. You're going to make your own choice. I just want you to have all the information you need in order to make the right choice for yourself. And um, and usually what that does is that empowers the person to say, oh, wow, they're not trying to tell me what to do. They're not trying, you know, they're just helping me understand what's going to happen and respecting the fact that I get to make my own decisions. And that's part of that caring and showing somebody that you value them as an adult and not as a you know worker bee that just shows up in the hive, one of 70,000, and I don't even know your name. Yeah. And it does something else because there's, I say there's two types of people, but there's, there's a continuum, but we're going to talk it to two extremes. Right. So you have at the one extreme, you have the 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 person who takes full responsibility for everything they do. And at the other, you have the victim, the perpetual mm-hmm. victim yep. who is at the whim of the world. And the reality is that all of that is is perspective. The difference between the two is perspective. Mm-hmm. And by taking that approach, you're an adult. I'm just laying out what you know, what consequences are based on what actions you take mm-hmm. and it's your, deci- your decision to whether follow these actions or follow different actions and then consequences will follow. What you're doing is telling people, showing people the path to exit victimhood and become self-sufficient. Totally. Helping and people the, grow. 
Right. And the beauty of that, especially if somebody takes that ball and runs with it, is then you've got somebody who's willing to take accountability for their work quality. They're willing to take accountability for their work relationships. They're willing to take accountability for innovations. And you get somebody who's a heck of a lot more engaged in the workplace. So not only have you solved, ideally, the problem that you were approaching, but you've also created an employee who knows you give a hoot and they know they matter, which we've talked about a billion times, changes everything. Yeah, this is the ultimate goal of leadership in, in exactly. my world, which is create self-actualized individuals who are responsible for themselves. And so we give them that pathway to do that. And you know, it mindset accountability. Like I, I don't know if we've discussed my newly discovered, I say discovered, I uh, created a concept called the accountability triangle. Right. Right. Which is a three. Yeah. Three elements required to create accountability, which is a model mindset and mechanics. Right. So the mechanics are the structure you put in place. The, the, the model is both your culture as well as what you personally model, the behaviors you model, your team will follow. Right. So from a business or, or from a, a environmental perspective, your culture needs to reflect what you're looking for. But you also need to demonstrate that. But what we're talking about in this conversation is the mindset, which is the mindset of I'm here to help you and I'm here to empower you. And that your mindset as an individual is I have sovereignty over my own actions and I'm responsible for my own actions. And when you do that, you become accountable. Right. And that is such a vitally important piece of being a leader, especially today where we are short staffed. We need to keep the people we have. We need to retain them. We need them to be engaged. And so we need to courageously have these conversations and make this investment in the people we have now in a way that, again, empowers them and brings them along and makes them feel valued rather than attacked. And that starts with your mindset of curiosity and desire to solve problems collaboratively. Yes, it starts without judgment. And again, I've, I know I've said this a million times on this podcast. I'm not against judgment. You hear people say, don't judge me, never judge. Oh, I'm just against premature judgment. Mm-hmm. So we have to start without judgment until we have enough information or a lack of time. Right. Those are the two conditions. Right. Gather information until you ha- know everything or you can't conceive of any additional information moving your moving the needle for you or you're up against a time constraint and you got to make a judgment with incomplete information which sometimes happens as well but you start with that sense of let's just be open well yeah totally and and creating that environment where that where somebody is feels and I know you don't like this language, but feels safe having that conversation with you. Feels like they're not being judged. They're not being attacked. It's an emotionally safe environment. And I may, your face is saying that I may be wrong in my assessment. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with the language. Okay. If you had said safe space, I'd have reached through the thing and okay. shot you. But no. <laughs> Again, semantics, I thought I was basically saying the same thing. <laughs> well, no, you left the word space out. It makes a world. Oh, out. got it. Yeah. Space is right. Bad. No, you know, you're talking about emotional safety. What? Uh, we'll go down this rabbit hole just for a minute. What, the problem I have with some practitioners who, who preach about emotional safety is they don't, in my estimation, don't truly understand what that means. Right? So they think it means an environment that's calm and quiet and, and people don't yell and raise their voices. But 
depending on the mix of people, depending on who they're like, you got some high alphas like a SEAL team. Okay. They could be screaming and yelling at each other at some point. Right. But could they know it's okay? Right. That's, that's the point. It's okay. Interestingly, I think that SEAL teams and, and, you know, SWAT teams and those first, those first responder teams uh, have almost the most psychologically safe environment because they know that even if somebody on the team, we have a disagreement, we always have each other's back. We always have that trust. We're always on the same team. And that's the key. We can have conflict. We can have difficult conversations. We can disagree in a big way. If we have that trust that you've got my six, it doesn't matter, but that trust has to be there. You've nailed it. You've absolutely nailed it. Right. If I if I have 100%, 110% certainty that where you're coming from is viewed for my best interest, mm-hmm. even if I disagree with where my best interests lie, at least I know you're coming from the right place. And then we can figure out what that looks like, how, how to get our two perspectives. You, you know, and, and conflict is not bad. Conflict is how conflict is creative. Conflict is how innovation occurs. And how we get to know each other and how we get to be able to have these tough conversations. If we're never having them, it, they're, every single one is catastrophic and epically scary. Yeah. And yeah. so, and along the same lines, especially if it's a new team, as you're learning to work with each other, you might take it a little slower, right? You may not get in somebody's face day one, right? But, but day 5,323, when you've been working together and you have that trust, yeah. What are you, freaking nuts? Not a big deal. Well, and and I think one of the things that I loved to do when I worked with a team was teach people how to do it. Like anytime I'd go to a, a leadership course or read a leadership book and learn something about dealing with conflict or you know communicating with each other, or how do we disagree? I would teach my team so that we together had that common vocabulary of how do we do this in a way that shows that we care and respect each other and really want to make this team stronger. And so I think that that learning element, that learning together how to do this can really help a team come together. And in as Brene Brown says in Dare to Lead, how to rumble with vulnerability. You know, this is one of the things that we learned in the Navy and Top Gun would teach this. You know, people have this misperception of what Top Gun really is. Top Gun is a school to teach. Shirtless guys playing volleyball. That too. Yes, thank you very much. It got through me, me through college. Anyway, go ahead. I'm going to leave that one alone. I right. watched that scene. We used, to, we used to rewind it in the dorm and watch it again and again. But anyway, go ahead. This is my surprised face. Um, <laughs> I still do it every once in a while on a lonely Friday night. In fact, I think tonight I might watch Top Gun. Go ahead. Yeah, for, for the record, uh, that was Roadhouse for me. Um, Are there... Ladies yeah. doing sexy yes. things in Roadhouse? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Anyway, you were saying it Top Gun. Uh, um, what it they, actually is. When, when they, where it's a school where the the best pilots and, and, and air crew in the squadron go to learn to come bring it back and teach mm. the rest of the guys. It's not like, oh, this is my secret. It's, you know, you're not a, no. They be their training officers in the squadron to to disseminate that information, and one of the things that Top Gun teaches when you're debriefing a training evolution, 
or even even if you're debriefing a real mission, you know, it doesn't really matter when you're debriefing is you don't talk. It wouldn't be like, and then you turn left, right in front of me. And I was able to gun your ass down because you made a stupid move, right? You're not going to hear that. So you speak in terms of the lead fighter, the bogey. It's all third person without names. So we keep personalities out of it because you're talking about a room full of egos that like nobody's business. Right. And so you need to be able to hear it. So that's a technique that we had just to keep egos out. Mm. And, um, you know, whether you need to do that or not, you know, that depends on your team, but certainly you avoid ad hominem, you know, you avoid things like saying you screwed up, Mm -hmm. right? This is a good time to be, this didn't work quite right. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not attacking the person. It's attacking the behavior. Yes. Attacking is the wrong word, but discussing. Right. Exactly. I love it. All right. Well, I think we've, uh, we've hopefully uh, shed some light on how to approach these difficult conversations. Yeah. Bottom line is build that trust along the way. And then this communication is easier. So go build trust today and don't avoid conflict. If you're not sure, feel free to reach out to us. We're giving you permission. So it won't be difficult for you. 8675309. No, that's not my real phone number. <laughs> no, isn't that um uh what's her, what's that song? Um da, 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 who do I, do? I can't eight, six, seven, maybe, five, maybe y'all need to dial in and let us know <laughs> what song we're talking about. Song. Yeah. I Jenny, Jenny, your, Jenny, 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 that's it. I saw your number on the wall. I heard somebody who was listening to this, like projecting that in the universe, going, It's Jenny, you idiots, it's Jenny. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. If you think of another song, let us know. These idiots are signing off. Y'all have a great day. Take care. Bye. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Ann Bonnie at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them.